You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome to First Bite, our Detroit Lions normally preview podcast, but not today because the Detroit Lions are on their bye week. They are one in three. Things are in chaos. So we are here to help navigate through such chaos, hopefully uh, make you feel a little bit better. If not, maybe we'll get out some rage that that we can use vicariously. We'll see. We're going to get into a lot of, uh, of angry questions that we got this week because it is going to be our mailbag version of First Bite. But before we get into any of that, my name is Jeremy Reisman. I'm the managing editor of Pride of Detroit. I'm your co-host of First Bite. And with me, with a unusual look on his face, I'm pretty sure that's not how he usually looks, is our good friend and co-host, Ryan Matthews. Ryan, how you doing, buddy? I was trying to channel my inner Tyler Hero with the little snarl. Mm. Is that how you say his last name? Because I was always nervous about how to say his last name out loud. I did not. I did not like what it sounded like, like in my it, brain. Like, like it was supposed to. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, no. It's it's just hero. Okay, that makes more which, sense. Which which he is not being anymore because uh, it looks like the Lakers are going to have this wrapped up, kind of like how the Lions' season's pretty much wrapped up at this oh, point. Oh wow! <laughs> I was going to commend you on that segue, but then it was mean spirited. So now I'm, I'm I'm I don't like it. I will be kind from here on out. I appreciate that. Uh, firm, as but I, fair. firm but fair. As I teased, uh, this is going to be an all mailbag uh, episode. We asked for your questions over the past 24 hours using the hashtag AskPOD on Twitter, which you can send questions any time of the week. We'll try to get to them either on the podcast, maybe through Twitter, maybe through written form. We're probably going to be doing a lot of uh, mailbags uh, because we might be searching for some content to make because uh, you guys probably aren't too interested into, uh, you know, diving into film. I mean, you are probably now, but things continue to go south. We'll see. Anyways, we're just going to jump right into it. Um, obviously, there's a lot of coaching talk. So I think this first segment is going to kind of talk all about coaching and then we'll get to more detailed questions about this year's lines, maybe the future lines, that sort of stuff. But let's start with coaching. Let's start with probably the biggest story. Um, nationally regarding the lions uh all thanks to your your good friend ryan dan orlovsky uh he seemed to take umbrage with something matt patricia said in that saying in his post game press conference he says you know when i took over we had a lot of work to do and a lot of people took that quote a lot of people were very angry about that quote a lot of former lines that were on jim caldwell's team were very upset saying this team had a lot of work to do they were obviously coming back Coming back, coming off back to back nine and seven seasons, one of those being a playoff season, <clears throat> but no playoff wins. Uh, our first question comes from AV King James in regards to this question, uh, in gr- regards to this quote. And he says, the Lions have gotten a lot of national attention due to a lot of ex Lions speaking out recently. 
but locally it's been a thing from the moment Patricia took the job two years ago. Is this typical regime change politic or indicative of a deeper change in the culture? First, before we get into that question, Ryan, are you at all up in arms about this quote from Patricia? Is, is this something that, that bugs you? Is this, is this more arrogance from him that, that you, you don't like to hear from him right now? I don't think it bothers me nearly as much as the first comment he made about, you know, making one of the biggest plays in, <laughs> you know, Super Bowl history. Yeah. Um, I think what this is, is I think that this is just Matt Patricia opening up his mouth and sticking his foot in it. Um, and I really think that this is kind of coach speak. I mm-hmm. think I think that's what it really comes down to. I think that this might be one of those canned phrases that every coach says, because if you don't have a lot of work to do, then you look pretty bad with your 10, 25 and one record. <laughs> right. So I think that that's just like a mindset that you adopt that you have a lot of work to do. And I think from the standpoint, I I think he I think he I think his comments hold water when you think about it from the standpoint that when he came here, there was a lot of work to do in terms of putting the players that he wanted in his scheme. And, you know, implementing all the things that he wanted done. Yeah. So I think that there's some I think that there's some truth to that. Um, but like I said, I think the comments were were way more arrogant when he you know, tried to say that he was yeah. responsible for one of the greatest defensive plays in the history of football. But, but yeah, I'm with you there. And, and Patricia got a chance to respond to all the criticism, too. And he said, you know, got a lot of work to do is kind of a term that he uses all the time, which is true. Um, he says it like after every game, we got a lot of work to do. We got to get better, all that sort of stuff, all that things. And and I'm also with you on that. And that very last point that you made regarding, you know, uh, it was a lot of work to do to to implement his vision. What he wanted to do took a lot of work. What he wanted his culture, he wanted his style of players. That was a lot of work. The question is, did it need all of that? <laughs> it looks and pretty I, ugly. Yeah, I think the answer <laughs> is probably not. The, the Lions did have enough talent. Their culture wasn't bad. It wasn't what his culture, want, what he wanted the culture to be. So to, in order to get the team to his vision, yeah, I think it was a lot of work. And in that case, I don't, I, I, I don't blame him. Like, that that's how he wanted to build the team. The Lions knew that. The Lions hired him because of that. Bob Quinn hired him because of that. So I think Matt Patricia saying what he did say actually doesn't bother them me that much. Now that I think about it, it's just like, no, that's what he wanted to do. What bothers me is the fact that he did do all of that. That the Lions decided that instead of building on a nine and seven team to to, you know, take the next step up, they decided to completely get rid of the stairs and start all over. And that was the decision that ever that was a decision that everyone in management made. This wasn't a thing that that they were like, oh, we didn't expect you to do that, Matt Patricia. This is something that the whole organization agreed that the team needed. So everyone is culpable from from the top down. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I don't think that he's the only one that deserves blame or I don't think. But here's the thing. When you're on the hot seat, the way that he's on the hot seat, like the lights are really bright and they're really hot. and Anything you say, like I said, open up, you know, open up mouth, insert foot at this point, because anything he says, it's like he's really just fighting against a a wave of people who just want to see him fail. And um, I I think I think I think a lot of those people have every right to feel that way, especially um, with their patients wearing thin after, you know, two and a close to two and a half seasons now. 
Yeah. And I mean, he's really in a no win position when it comes to post game press conferences, right? Like he can be the most boring person and try to avoid all these kind of controversies. But then people are going to be like, I'm sick of his coach speak. Why won't he tell us something real? It's like, well, then if he goes out and tries to say something, he'd be like, oh, he's, he's dogging the players. Oh, he's throwing his other coaches under the bus. It's like, well, what is there anything he could let, let me ask you that. Is there anything he could literally say in a post game press conference? You'd be like, God, that's that's nice to hear. No, because I think that what we're talking about right now is exactly an example of like trying to toe the line of like not being too hard on the players and also trying not to like say too much canned coach speak. Like he's just trying to like find this balance where he can maybe just like Matt Stafford his way out of a press conference. Right. But he he really can't like anything he take. He anything he says is just going to be taken up by by whatever and, and, you know, magnified and blown up to a hundred times what it actually is. So, yeah. All right. Well, let's go back to the original question uh, about all the X lines kind of coming out and, and saying what they will. Um, Do you think this is just kind of, you know, regime, regime change stuff where Dan Orlovsky is mad that he's kind of dogging or it's a perceived slight towards maybe himself and Jim Caldwell, or do you think this is indicative of like a, a big culture issue maybe that's in Detroit now? You know, I'm not a huge fan of Matt Patricia, and I think that that's been like well documented. So, sure. um, but by the same token, I'm getting really, really tired of everybody looking back on Jim Caldwell with rose-colored glasses. Sure. Um, I, I think I think the one thing about Jim Caldwell that I did appreciate though was the way that um, it was more than just football, and I appreciate that approach. Like he was interested in. Um, not only developing football players, but developing like young men into, you know, uh, respectable, upstanding citizens. I mean, and, sure. um, Dan Orlovsky aside, because he's not one of those people, um, <laughs> uh, Stephen Tullick, like players like that. I, I mean, they're they're active in their communities and um, even people like Darius Slay, who was brought in here when, you know, Jim Caldwell was, um, you know, under tenure. You, you see a lot of those players go on to do do great things for their communities and, and things of that nature. Quandre Diggs. Qu- oh, nice. Yeah. Appreciate, Qu- appreciate the things of that nature. Reference yeah, you there. like that. You like that. But um, I, I think I, I think if, if anybody has a reason to be uh, wistful and to miss Jim Caldwell, I think that's the reason to miss him. Um, right. Jeremy, I know that you absolutely... Like it, it drove you nuts when it came to clock management and Jim Caldwell, and when it came to you know certain decisions that he made in terms of you know um, field position and, and things of that nature. But um, I'm I'm really out on Patricia at this point. I think everybody is. I think when he made those comments, that everybody was just kind of tired, and I think people are are tired of the uh, the shtick. Even you know. He made that perceived leap, though, from year one to year two. You know what I mean? Like year one, mm-hmm. he maybe came in and he was a little bit too, you know, Tommy Tough Nuts. Yeah. And now he kind of eased that back a little bit. But at this point, like the proof is in the pudding and you can take a look at the record and you and you can't mince words anymore. And the, I think the unfair thing is to compare Matt Patricia's um, tenure with Jim Caldwell's tenure. You should be comparing Matt Patricia's tenure with like Matt Millen era coaches at this point i mean record wise yeah it's the same vein there and yeah i think 
I think you're right. There, there is a little bit of whitewashing happening with uh, with Jim Caldwell. I always contend that I would have liked to see one more year out of him, but when you consider that that one year would have been paired with Bob Quinn, maybe maybe I don't want that. Um, since Bob Quinn openly admitted he was more comfortable drafting for someone that he uh, he's more in line with in terms of philosophical football reasons. Um, to kind of go back to the original question, though, do I think like maybe there's a, a, a deeper culture issue in Detroit now? The one thing I will say about this team is that they haven't shown any signs of any culture issue anymore. There certainly was in those first two years with, with Matt Patricia. I think that's been well documented now. I think at this point, he's kind of purged all of the naysayers, all the, the disbelievers, all the dissenters. Um, and so now they have a pretty clean locker room in terms of what Matt Patricia wants it to be. And I don't see any cracks in that foundation yet. And maybe, maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't. Maybe he's got all the kind of guys that are very, very tough mentally, but that doesn't matter when the winds aren't coming. And so I, I think, you know, one of the things I've, I've consistently said here is like, yeah, we're getting like these high character guys that, that are all about football, like like football robots is I think what I've referred to them in the past, but they got to play too. They got to be good at what they do when they get on the field. So that's my biggest issue with, with the whole culture thing with, with Patricia is that he's so laser focused on guys that'll buy in that he's probably passing up on some talent. Yeah, and I think the one other thing I want to add to that is that you had such a wide array of players under Jim Caldwell. I mean, you had like your Stephen Tullix, but then you had your Darius Slay, who's a little bit more eccentric, but then you also had your Glover Quinn, who was just like the consummate professional. Right. And all of those guys speak glowingly of Jim Caldwell. And none of those guys say nice things about Matt Patricia. Right. So, I mean, again, the proof is in the pudding. Yep. All right, next question, sticking with coaches and a little bit of GM talk. Um, from your boy Ben on Twitter, he asked, do you, up, think, do you think there's a scenario in which Patricia Quinn used the excuse of a down year from Stafford slash the COVID offseason to get themselves another year, but with a rookie quarterback? If so, what is your drink of choice next year? <laughs> no chance? No chance. I mean, just absolutely no chance. I, I don't think that Sheila Fordhamp will... We'll allow that to happen. I, I, I think that at this point, um, and, and I don't really buy into the no fans in the stands. It's not loud enough in terms of the dissenters, in terms of the people who are out on Patricia. I don't buy into all that. Like log on to Twitter. Like it's <laughs> the 21st century. You right. know what I mean? Like check out any social media. You go anywhere. I, I don't have a Facebook anymore, so I can only imagine the type of swamp, the type of cesspool that Facebook is at this point. Um, but I, I, I don't think that that's a viable excuse. Um, I don't think, I mean, it was last season, right? Like losing Stafford for eight games. Sure. Um, you know, everything was there to kind of say, you know, Pat- Patricia's second year was kind of marred by that. I don't think you can make that excuse because everybody had to deal with the same circumstances. Right. That, I mean, that's the key right there. Everyone's going through it. Some teams are going through it a lot worse than the lions. If you've seen the Seahawks injury report, it's about 25 players deep each week. Not to mention all the, the COVID stuff going around. I was going to say, do we really need the Tennessee Titans? Can we just like excommunicate them from the NFL? <laughs> Maybe. Um, but then, yeah. And then, I mean, you can't use, Stafford had a down year as an excuse because guess who's his coach this year? You guys for his third year. Yeah. So, I mean, if Stafford has a down year, 
sure that's on Stafford, but it's also kind of on you guys. So um, you definitely can't use that as an excuse. I think if this team doesn't win at least, I don't know, seven games, like it's over. Yeah, I'm trying to remember the threshold that we kind of set at the beginning of the season. I think it was, I mean, Jeremy, you've always said that as long as Matthew Stafford is your starting quarterback, you shouldn't have double digit losses. Right. So, I so mean, I can't really your argue with right that. There. Yeah. Uh, next question from some comes from Ray Ray one two two two. He asks if the Lions do let go of Quinn Patricia, what would be the earliest week in your opinion? Or do you think the Fords don't make a move until after the season? What are the pros and cons of both scenarios? This is always an interesting question. I think a lot of Lions fans were hoping it would happen this week. I think it's pretty clear it's not going to happen this week now. Um, when when do you? How bad does it have to get, Ryan? Do you think for it to happen in the middle of the season? I mean, with the way that the Lions' schedules lined up, with um, you know teams that are benching their quarterbacks, like the Washington Football Team, mm-hmm. um, with teams that are winless, uh, with teams that are really struggling. I mean, their next what is it like seven games? Like they have probably one of the easier schedules in football when it comes to win loss records. Yep. I if if it gets real bad, like. If if they go like winless over that time, I don't think Patricia sticks out for the entire season. Yeah, I, I think that maybe he gets canned in week. What is it like 13, 14, something like that? Like so like like a one one and nine start or something like that. Is it is it over? Yeah, I think you gotta. I yeah. think you gotta call it quits on that. You gotta pull the plug. Yeah, I I hope it doesn't get to get that, but I feel like yeah, it has to be both. something. It has to be something like that. I mean, we saw you know the the. We Mayhew and and Lawan go and it was what one and seven starts the season I think that year, mm-hmm. yeah um, something like that. I mean honestly, if if they go one and seven, I wouldn't be surprised to see the GM and and the coach go at the same time like that. Is, is there the, the question? Is there is there a lot of pros to that? Because that's the second part of the question. Is there is there pros and cons to to that? And I mean I I don't see a lot of pros in in mid season firings. I don't I don't really understand it. I th- I think it it placates the fan base a little bit. It, it gives them a little bit of hope. But what's the what? I mean, what you're not going to sell tickets <laughs> to games either way. You're not going to sell a lot of people aren't going to buy a bunch of merchandise after you fire a head coach. That's not really how that works. So I don't. And and like I said, this this is a team that's bought into Matt Patricia. This is a team that you know you have Reggie Ragland saying this team should be four and zero. You have Reggie Ragland saying this team should be Super Bowl contenders. He, he's seen what a Super Bowl contender, and this team has all of that. Um, you, and, and it's full of the, the locker room is filled with guys like that. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, firing him, I think, only hurts their morale and maybe hurts their performance even a little bit. Now, does that change if they're one and eight? Maybe, probably, at least a little bit. But I don't know. I don't really like midseason firings. I don't think. I don't think there's a lot of pros to it. Do you, do you see it any, any differently? Um, no, I think we're pretty much lock in step when it comes to midseason firings. I don't think that there's a huge advantage to like getting a head start on a GM search or getting a head start on a head coach search because really at this point, like the lions have to sell themselves as a viable franchise for anybody to, to come and work for. Um, because it's a little less attractive than when Patricia and, and, you know, Quinn took over. There's there was a for sure franchise starting quarterback. Maybe that's not the case anymore. So I think I, I don't I don't think that there's much to it. I, I think the I think the only reason you pull the plug on Patricia is things become like Bill O'Brien bad. Like yeah. 
you're pissing off JJ Watt and JJ Watt is talking back to you at practice kind of bad. Like right. if things get that bad, if the relationship becomes untenable, well then yeah, you obviously pull the plug because you need like a positive work environment where that just can't exist. But for as much as I don't like Matt Patricia and for as bad as the Lions are at one and three, if you fire him now, you're I think you're calling the season. I don't think that there's like Daryl Bevel gets you know, promoted to interim head coach and the Lions are all of a sudden 10 and 6. They can like, suddenly I, stop the run because Daryl Bevel's head coach. Yeah, yeah, I don't. Well, that's Maybe we'll get to that later in the mailbag if, yeah. if we're going to talk about like what kind of head coach we'd want in the future. But yeah, it, that's, that's actually, not going to happen with Daryl Bevel. You know, let, let's actually jump into that now before we head uh, to our break because Big J Shaky in our, in our comment section asks, all right, so let's, let's just assume... We get a new coach. We get a new GM. We're not going to throw out names out there because Pointless. how many times do you want me to say Eric Bieniemy or, or Robert Sala or whatever? Like we've all already kind of cycled through all the names. You want Bill Cowher? Sure. Whatever. Uh, he, he asked more about the kind of person you want. So if you were all picking approaches for, from different teams, what blueprints would you want to follow? So what team, you know, who, who's done it before? Are you looking to follow? Like, are you doing Kansas City in a high flying offense? Are you in San Francisco and Baltimore going primary, pri- primarily defense? The Packers, who are, are more aggressive in free agency. Obviously, the Patriots way has, hasn't worked. So so what team uh, dynamic are, are you looking to build in, in Detroit? Or is it something kind of a hybrid or your own thing? Yeah, and I, I, I know I just mentioned earlier in the podcast about, you know, looking at Jim Caldwell's past with some rose-colored glasses, but like, I don't care if it's an offensive guru. I don't care if it's a defensive genius. Like I want somebody who has head coach traits and um, I'm not saying that he should be the head coach or anything, but um, I remember early in the off season when the lions got Braden Coombs, uh, there was one of the beat writers. I think it may have been Mikey or it was Justin Rogers. I don't know. They all blend together. Um, But (laughs) uh, one of them mentioned like, Coombs just kind of like carries himself like a head coach. Like they could see him being a head coach someday. And I I mean, he's a special teams coordinator. So, I mean, there's obviously a trajectory, like you follow a certain path and you eventually get to, and it seems like for the most part, you either have offensive or defensive coordinators that get promoted to head coach. I don't even care if it's that, like, I just want somebody who is going to come in and be able to put people in position to do like the best job possible. And I know that might set right. And I I know that might kind of sound like a canned, um, like really easy fix, but like, I think people get a little bit too caught up in, well, do we want to have Eric Bieniemy because we want to have the Kansas City Chiefs offense? Like, guess what? You're not going to have the Kansas City Chiefs offense because you don't have Patrick Mahomes. Right. Yeah, I I think that's a a good answer. And it was kind of the direction I was going to go in. I do. I do want someone that that is adaptable. I think maybe that's the, the most both in terms of their leadership being adaptable to people that need a little bit more hands-on approach and, and maybe taking your hands off a, a little bit more with, with people that like to be loose and funny and, and whatever they, they can go on social media. That's fine. It's not going to, it's not going to hurt you or the organization. Um, but, but also adaptable on the field, you know, just maybe surround someone who will surround themselves with people that don't necessarily line up with them. And I know that's, that's rare. I know usually when you get a new head coach, they tend to bring in guys that they already know because, Guess what? It, it, it helps in, in terms of chemistry with the team. But I do want someone that, that isn't going to come in and be, you know, sold on their way as the only way. And and that's that's my approach. 
if we're talking offense for de- versus defense, I probably want a more offensive minded coach. I really enjoy watching teams that are really, really good at offense. And, you know, I, I think when we talk about the the smartest coaches in, in the league right now, you, you, you talk about the Chiefs, you talk about Andy Reid, you talk about um, Sean McVay, Sean McVay. Right. Um, so I, I do think there's something to that. But I mean, even like Kyle Shanahan, you, you mentioned the 49ers, but that's an offense like that's a really fun offense to watch, too. And so I, I would probably lean offense if we're talking, you know, offense versus defense. But ultimately, I just want someone who's a little bit more flexible than than the guys we got in there right now. That's it. Some guy who will some guy who will just like be OK with having talent on his team. Yes, yes. <laughs> and yeah. All right. And with that, we are going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to get off the coaching stuff for a little bit. We'll talk a little bit more about this Lions team. What's going wrong? What's going right? What's coming up ahead? So stick around. We'll be right back on our First Bite Mailbag podcast. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. And we are back with First Bite, our Detroit Lions preview podcast slash mailbag podcast because it is the bye week. Let's jump right back into some of your questions. I really like this one from Jay Jones. 164 in our comment section says since Patricia took over, there's only a handful of players from the Caldwell era that lasted three years here besides Don Muehlbach, which three to five players do you think are schematically fluid enough to stick around three plus years in the next regime? Oh boy. Um, Taylor Decker for sure. Mm -hmm. Yep. I mean, I I don't think that, yeah, I don't think left tackles really grow on trees. So, um, it's weird. We were talking in the break about, you know, the one thing to be optimistic about the Lions in the future is their offensive line. But I mean, I'd be really excited about the prospect of Frank Ragnow. Mm-hmm. I'd be really excited about Jonah Jackson. Yep. Like, I, I think that side of the line is just fantastic. Like, sure. you don't got to worry about it. I think that that'll transfer into anybody's scheme. Like, good offensive linemen anywhere are good offensive linemen anywhere. Anyone on, on defense? Anyone? Bueller? Amani Arariye? Okay. 
What about Okuda Maybe? too, right? Yeah. Yeah. And can we can we like pump the brakes on like Jeff Okuda? It might be bad. He was he was fine on Sunday, by the way. Like he gave up two catches. Chill. Yeah. And I mean, we, we talked about the gauntlet that he had to run through at the beginning of the season when it was Devontae Adams and DeAndre Hopkins. That, that yeah. literal, literal baptism by fire. Um, right. But hmm, I'm trying to think. Uh, Duran Harmon? I, I, can, I can say yes for that. He's a good leader. And will he be like a bona fide starter stud pro bowler? Probably not. But I, I like him back there. And he's definitely versatile enough to, to fit, I think, any scheme. As a free safety. For sure. Um, because I think that he can just play that middle of the field role and he can do that. So, um, but man, the rest of the defense. Yeah. I mean, maybe, 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 maybe Danny Shelton. I've, I've seen enough where I like him. But like, Again, maybe, maybe he just wouldn't work in like a four three scheme. Yeah. I don't know. He, he at, at times he's like twitchy enough where I could be like, maybe he could be like a predominant three tech in a, in a, in a four three, but it, it's hard to say. I mean, he plays a little bit of three tech anyways. Like that's, that's mm-hmm. how the lines like to use or no. So um, maybe. And then there's also Tracy Walker, which he had a nice rebound game on Sunday, but still, I don't know. I don't, you, at this point, you're stuck with some of these defensive players, especially the young guys like Jelani Tavai and Jared Davis and and, uh, and and Will Harris. It's like, are these guys that untalented or is it coaching? Like, I don't know because well, they haven't been coached by anyone else. Sure. Well, I mean, Jared Davis, for sure. I think you can kind of write the out. book on him yeah, at this point. Um, but Kenny Galladay. Yeah. Kenny Gall- uh, T- I th- I, TJ Hawkinson, I think he's definitely going to be a stud in this league. So let's add him. I'm not going to be unfair. I'm not going to be unfair. <laughs> yeah, TJ Hawkinson can play. Okay. So we came up with like seven, eight. And we, like four of the them founda- are basically offensive linemen. <laughs> <laughs> That's a foundation, Ryan. Throw yeah, a brother. veteran quarterback and we're good. Hell yeah, come, brother. Come to Detroit, whoever your, our dream coach is. All right. Uh, next question comes from Gonzalez QES. Why aren't they playing Julian Okwara more? He was one of the offseason additions that was supposed to help a moribund pass rushing team. And he's a healthy scratch in some games, question mark. Do you have a theory? No, because I don't understand. <laughs> like, I don't understand because I don't understand their approach to Tracy Walker in the beginning of the season. And, sure. uh, you know, he, he struggled in those first two games. But I think maybe that might be like a uh, that might be like a mental thing, right? Like, I mean, you're not out there, you're not playing, you were just like a starter a year ago. Like, what the heck, you yeah. know? So, um, but we saw the same thing with Ashawn Robinson. Like, he was a healthy True. scratch, and then all of a sudden he had he had a really really good um, what was that 2018? 2018, yeah, yeah, 2018 season. Um, but that was a pretty talented defensive line. So I guess you can kind of count on the other guys to to pick you up there versus, you know, Tracy Walker. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm going to defend the coaching staff a little bit here. I mean, first of all, you have to realize rookie might not be ready. Jeff Okuda is a great example of that. Um, I don't know if Jeff Okuda would really be playing all that much if it weren't for the injury to Desmond Trufant. He, he didn't start last week. and. Um, that bad. Said, they, I was going to say 
maybe, maybe he would be playing even Desmond Trufant was healthy because Trufant has been not so good as of late. Um, and, and a lot of it has to do with his, I, I think, Julian O'Quarr's lack of versatility. I think right now he's purely a pass rusher, and the lines are so bad at the run that they don't get into a lot of situations where they need a pure pass rusher. They they put Julian O'Quarr out there on first and 10. They risk themselves of getting beat off the edge because it's not something he's necessarily good at yet. It's not something he's developed yet. It's not something he did a lot in Notre Dame. So I, I think it was, who was it? can't remember who exactly it was on on the Lions defense said that exactly that like we're not getting a pass rush because we're not getting into pass rush situations we're not stopping the run we're getting into second and fours and third and twos and third and ones and I mean all you have to do is look at that Saints game I feel like every single third down conversion the reason why they were 10 of 12 or whatever they were on third down because almost all of them were third and four or less yeah and was that 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 Trey Flowers I think it was Trey Flowers it was Trey Flowers Speaking of which, maybe another guy who would, but I don't know, would he be as versatile in any scheme, Trey Flowers? I think you'd find a spot for him, right? Yeah. He Again, I feel like a lot of these guys who are starters here would be more rotational guys elsewhere. And, and not that Trey Flowers couldn't be a starter elsewhere, but he's not He's not going to be your feature edge rusher, right? Like he's not going to mm-hmm. be the guy who who gets you three sacks of games and, and two forced fumbles. Like that's just not yeah. Trey Flowers' game. He's not, yeah, he's not Chandler Jones. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's my theory on Julian O'Quar. I think I think we'll still see progressively more of him as we go on. He's only really been a healthy scratch once. He's getting about five to fifteen snaps a game, which I know doesn't seem like enough, and it probably isn't enough, but he he's still very raw. I think anyone will tell you that people who who, you know, wrote their their profiles on him, their draft profiles on him, said like it's it's gonna take a while with him, and it is, and the lines aren't doing him any favors by not getting into any situations which they need him. So I think it's, it's a combination of all that. Next question. Speaking of underused Miller time, one, three, one asks if Deandre Swift catches that pass, I think we feel we're feeling good going into the bye. The shitty thing is that it really is a game of inches with that being said, can we dig ourselves out of this hole or is the season basically over? Let's start at the beginning here. Are you actually feeling a lot better about this team if Swift catches that pass? I know that's kind of an impossible question to to answer because obviously we're we're living in a time when that didn't happen. But I mean, two and two is not a bad record going into the bye, especially considering you know that would have included a win over a divisional opponent that would have brought the Bears down to two and two, and so suddenly the Lions are tied for second in the NFC North. Um, would you feel better? No. <laughs> Okay. And, the re- and the reason why I wouldn't feel better is because context, as always, matters. Sure. Mm-hmm. And you look at the way that that Bears game just completely unraveled. You look at the way that the Saints game, after the first five minutes, completely unraveled. You look at the way that Green Bay, I mean, granted the Lions got out to a, you know, a quick lead. I mean, they were dominated from, you know, what, the second quarter on? Yeah. It was really bad. Um, I think that Again, like the proof is there, like they're getting beat badly by by teams that are both good and bad. I don't think the Bears are good. I think the Bears are pretenders. I don't think I don't think they're very good. The Saints. I don't know if the Saints are very good. I I think their defense. I mean, they're missing players when the Lions played them on Sunday, but their defense is really suspect. Um, I don't think I would feel any better about this team if they were two and two. I, I'm mostly there with you. 
I, th- I think I'm still a little bit more optimistic than most Lions fans. I think this is a team still very much capable of winning seven games this year. I know, th- I know that doesn't sound very optimistic considering, you know, a lot of people are predicting them to win 10, 11 games, but mm-hmm. I mean, they have been close. I mean, they, they're, they're a third down stop away from maybe winning the game against the saints, even though that's a game they probably didn't deserve to win at all. Um, mm-hmm. But I do think it shows that like they're capable if, if, they had so many opportunities against the Saints to get a stop on third down throughout the entire game. And if they make just one or two of those, then I think the game might look completely different. And so it, it, it is a game of inches. This is, this is a team that's still, I think, going to play a lot of 50-50 ball games this year. And I think they'll win, hopefully, at least 50 of them um, and, 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 and still contend. Now, does DeAndre Swift catching a ball really change any of that? I mean, not really. How I feel is how I feel. Um I like to think that I, I'm judging the team on their body of work rather than just a raw statistic like like record. Um, but I do I still I do still think this team is a little bit better than most people are giving them credit for at one and three. Yeah, I mean, I, I said it after they lost the second game to the Packers. You know, are the Lions really really bad, or did they play two good teams? I know the Bears aren't good. Yeah. I know the Packers are. For they're they're for sure they're they're yeah. legit. Yeah. Their other loss though, I think the Saints were a beatable team and they had them in a really really good situation. You know, That's missing true. missing you know maybe their their top offensive weapon, missing Marshawn Lattimore, missing Janoris Jenkins. You know that was a game that the Lions should have won. No question. No question. Yeah. So I mean we're we're still kind of in the information gathering phase though you know it's it's the mm-hmm. first month of the season we'll we'll see how some of these like Arizona is Arizona a good team they looked good coming in now they're two and two is that a good win is that a bad win is that just a win against a mediocre team something we'll still probably have to figure out later yeah. all right next question. Uh, from LKP on uh, on Pride of Detroit I kind of reduced his question because it was very long. Rank the Lions' issues on defense. We got four categories here. They're playing too much man coverage. They're not blitzing enough. Or they're inefficient in their blitzes. Their run defense sucks. They don't have a premier pass rusher. Number one. Their number one problem is stopping the run. That is correct. Yes. I mean, it just... You, you can take a look at the Packers game. You can take a look at the Saints game. I mean, those are like exhibit A and exhibit B of how bad the Lions are at stopping the run, right? Yep. Yep. The out, the outlier game is Arizona because for right. some reason they were able to contain Kyler Murray and Kenyon that's, Drake. For that's some, been their for MO though. Like they've they've been able to stop mobile quarterbacks. And that's like that's the only thing this this defense has been consistent about is being able to stop mobile quarterbacks and let's it. Yeah, because I mean they did a pretty they did a pretty respectable job on Mitchell Trubisky in week one. Yeah. Um, but the running backs for the Bears, they, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a different story. But yeah, especially I, I think I think it's their biggest problem too, Jeremy, because you have a head coach who his whole defensive philosophy relies on that first and yep. foremost. Yep. So yeah. yeah, and it goes back to, to what I was saying before. If if you can't stop the run, then you're not getting yourselves into into pass rushing downs. Mm-hmm. And it, the whole thing falls apart from there. If, if you're consistently in third and twos, this defense does not work. It yeah. just doesn't. Yeah, and uh, I'm going to have to, for the, for the second biggest problem, I'm going to say that it's too much man coverage. Okay. Um, I don't think it's, I don't think the Lions are lacking a premier 
pass rusher in terms of what they want to do with their scheme. Like they got Trey Flowers. I think Trey Flowers, while he is not, you know, Chandler Jones, he's not Von Miller. He's not, you know, some guy who's going to get you 16 sacks in a season, but he's a guy who can pressure the quarterback. But the problem is, I think the Lions, they preach versatility. You know, they're going to have all these defensive players that could do all these different things. Then why is the only thing you're running man coverage? Like, like, was it like 80% of the time? And then all of a sudden in the Cardinals game, they switch things up and three interceptions. I have an issue with the whole man coverage thing. It seemed like it was just kind of an easy, convenient talking point for a while. Mm-hmm. Here's the issue is that they played a heck of a lot of zone last week and Drew Brees beat the pants out of him. I think he completed like 89% of his passes against zone and it was almost a 50, 50 split again. I think it was like 60, 40, uh, which, which isn't that much, man. I think a lot of teams do predominantly man, but not, um, not, not to the point where it was like 80, 20 or whatever it was through the first two games. Right. I, I think, I think this is just like, that's an overly simplistic way of, of seeing how, bad this defense is because it's bad everywhere mm-hmm. the, you know man coverage is, is tough for a lot of these guys but you know what zone coverage relies a lot upon your linebackers and you know mm-hmm. what the lines don't have any good of linebackers <laughs> athletic linebackers <laughs> yeah and so there there isn't yeah. i mean i understand the thought that you just need to vary things up it's not about you, you just need to play more zone it's about varying things up but the lines mm-hmm. are doing that now and it's not helping but yeah, I, I think my point is that if you're a team that has like as many safeties as they have, take a linebacker off the field. Like you have oh, a yeah. guy, you have a guy like Will Harris. You, 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 yeah. <laughs> you got J-Ron Curse back now. You got four safeties. Play them all. Play them all and Jamie <laughs> Collins. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Come up with that package. All right. Yeah. Uh, we got two more remaining ones. What oh, Lack of blitzing and no premier pass rusher. What's your three? What's your four? I think I'm going to sandwich two and three like together right next to each other. And it's going to be blitz and like not dialing up more blitzes. And I think that that kind of just goes back to my, um, my lack of faith in Patricia as a defensive mind, like for whatever reason, like his, his choice when it comes to defensive game plans is poo poo. And (laughs) when it comes to dialing up the blitz, it isn't a thing with him. So Yeah. Fair enough. I, I think I'm with you on the blitz stuff. I think I'd like to see a little bit more of it. I'd like to see him be a little more creative with it. Um, I, they're moving around the defensive front a lot. Like we'll see Trey Flowers at the nose every now and then just because, and that's cool. And, and sometimes it works, but they need to be, they need to be bringing some pressure. They can't let Drew Brees sit back there and, and pick him apart like they did last week. Don't you think that's kind of the problem though? Like with, with, with them, like for instance, right, they played the saints last week. If you want to play more man, because you don't want to play zone because Drew Brees will like quickly pick you apart, like right off the snap, like play man, play press, but then send pressure too. Yeah. Like let, let make Drew Brees beat you that way. Like why, why get away from that? If that's what you want to do, it seems like those two things need to be married together better. Like if you're going to play so much man, you need to pass rush. uh, You need to blitz way more often. I'm with you there. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the next question from our buddy Josh Harrington. He asks, how concerned are you about Stafford's extremely inconsistent play? Oh, I'm so scared. I'm terrified. I'm. This is the most disappointing part of the season, I think, for me personally. I, I think the okay. most disappointing thing right now is Matthew Stafford's play because mm-hmm. I think we were all so sure that 
you know what? If the Lions would have had eight more games of Matthew Stafford last season, you know, maybe they wouldn't have made the playoffs, but they would have at least been like knocking on the door in November. Right. We wouldn't have been having to watch David Blau on, on Thanksgiving, you know? So I think that Matthew Stafford's performance this season is the most troubling thing moving forward because what it means is, is I think if there's another regime change, maybe Matthew Stafford's not the guy. That is a definite possibility. There, there's no question that we could be seeing the beginning of the end of Matthew Stafford in Detroit. And whether that means drafting one next year and sitting him on the bench, a la Jordan love or trading him in the off season. All those things I think are on the table. If there's a whole regime change, all of that is true. In terms of his play this year, I'm still holding out hope. I'm still... Oh, me too. I'm not... I'm not I'm, I wouldn't say I'm not concerned. Um, he hasn't been good through four games. I think even, you know, the, the biggest Stafford homers, which I would almost put myself in that category, uh, I would. W- would admit that, that things have not been going well. But I, I do think they're still trying to figure things out offensively. I think they're trying to figure out how to put DeAndre Swift into this offense. I, I feel like they're still adjusting to Kenny Galladay being back and... and What's Marvin Hall's role? Is he a pure number three, or do they, they like bringing in Quintus Cephas? And I, I would have loved for them to have all that figured out in the offseason. Maybe the shortened offseason is to blame, whatever. Other teams seem to have figured it out quick enough. But I just I feel like something's not clicking overall with the offense, and, and it's making, making Matthew Stafford look a little bit worse than he actually is. He's not good, and the accuracy issues are real, and, and some of the decision-making, too. Um, but I do feel like it's, it's going to click at some point and in some point soon. So I'm not too concerned. It's the consistency with the offense, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, they're, they're totally devastating in spurts. I mean, just look at last week versus new Orleans. I mean, uh, first drive touchdown and then, you know, interception turns into another touchdown. Then where did the offense go for three and a half quarters? Nowhere. <laughs> All right, next question comes from Sodanad, uh, Ashley on Twitter. She asks, should we be buyers or sellers at the trade deadline? Who should we trade or trade for? This is an interesting question because trade deadline will sneak up on you. It comes at the end of this month. And, you know, the lines don't play for another week, so it's literally only about three weeks away. Um, Obviously, I I think the answer to this question depends on how the lines perform in the next couple games. Um, but, But what do you think? Do you think the lines are going to be active at the trade deadline? Are you foreseeing? Obviously, I think if we had to guess right now, they'd probably be sellers. Um, do, do you see any of that playing out? How much of this do you, how much of them being buyers or sellers do you think depends on like how Quinn feels about his job security? That's another huge factor in this, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, if he thinks that he's going to get another year, maybe he's just going to be a seller and he's going to try to get more assets, more draft assets. Maybe he's going to try to accumulate draft picks so that he can try to get more players that way. Um, if he thinks that he's as good as gone, then why do anything? <laughs> or, or get aggressive and be like, shit, I got to do something to save my butt. I, I got to save, you know, do something to save my job in the last six months of the se- or six weeks of the season. Yeah. I got to trade Jack Fox. <laughs> no, no, that's <laughs> not how you do this. No. Be I mean, honest. Be get. honest. What do you think the lions could get for Jack Fox? Stop it. The sixth rounder. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Oh, then we're keeping Jack Fox. Right. I mean, he's a punter one. He's he's not signed beyond this year, too. Oh, well, I was going to say he is a punter one. He's he's P1. He's P1. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
I do think we should start considering the Lions potentially being sellers. If this was a normal season, it would make sense for them to be sellers. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the name I, I always keep going back to when I start thinking about this is Marvin Jones. Um, exactly. Yeah. The question is, what's his value at right now? Because he's not playing particularly well. It, his, his statistics have really dropped in the past two seasons. Um, out, you know, he had a ton of touchdowns last year, but I think his yards per catch dropped significantly and they're even lower this year. So um, you're probably not getting a ton of value out of that trade. I would say fourth, maybe fifth, maybe like a fourth and a sixth. Is that worth it? I mean, probably still if, if your season's over, but yeah. uh, you're, you're not getting a golden Tate type of trade. Do you know who I wouldn't be shocked to see be interested in Marvin Jones? Patriots? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe the, if the Eagles can get their act together and become buyers, they, they've certainly been in need for a wide receiver too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think that there, and there, there could be a market that ends up uh, developing for Marvin Jones. But like I said, or like you said, Jeremy, I, I don't think it's going to be anything that's going to really bring back anything of, uh, of like big time value. Right. Is there not anyone like, else? Not like a Darius Slay trade or anything like that. Right. Is there anyone else you, you see maybe on, I mean, it's hard when the defense is playing so bad to see any defensive pieces that would get you anything on the trade market. But is there, is there anyone there that you, you say like, maybe? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I think you're probably right. Like trade Duran Harmon back to the Patriots, maybe. Yeah, like you're, you're not going to, if you're Quinn and you're Patricia, you're not trading any of your guys. Like you're not going to trade Danny Shelton, even though he's playing really well, or you're not going to trade Jamie Collins, even though he's playing pretty well. Yeah. You're right. Someone's throwing Deshaun Hand out there in the chat. Do you think he's got any value right now? Can he stay on the field? Hey, no injuries so far. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last question before we close things out from Nate Savage at Savage underscore Nate on Twitter. He's asked, with one of the easiest schedules remaining in the league, what are your projections for the remaining year? What do the lines need to do to hit on all the cylinders and maybe win a couple games back to back? All right, let's look at the next seven games. This supposed easy schedule ahead. We've got Jacksonville in Jacksonville coming out of the break at the Falcons, Colts, who are three and one, Vikings, Washington, Panthers, Texans. Give me a record for those seven games. I was going to be really dumb and say four, two and one. Um, <laughs> I, I could see four and three. Well, okay. So you, you actually are a little bit more optimistic than I thought you were. Yeah. I, I well, I could see four and three just because I mean, you said one team who uh, just fired their head coach and GM. You said one team who is now on Kyle Allen as their starter. Yeah. Um, I mean, Jacksonville doesn't seem like, I mean, they're, they're like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I mean, sure. one, one week they're, they're giving the Titans a run for their money. The next week they're getting beat by the Miami Dolphins. Um, and then the Atlanta Falcons. Like, I can't wait for all of the Spider-Man memes to pop out for, <laughs> for that game. Because um, that, that's just going to be a contest of, like, who wants to lose? Who blows the, the lead most. last? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, I, I could see four and three and what that would take the Lions record uh, five and six. Hey, Am I doing my math right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. 
Okay, so five and six. And then, of course, the other side is, is that then you got the Bears, Packers, Titans, loss, loss, Bucks, loss, Vikings. Loss, loss. Right. <laughs> Let's not talk about that, though. We're talking. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I, I'm four and th- if I had to pick, honestly, I'd probably say three and four, which is why I thought you were being a little bit more optimistic. Yes, all these teams are beatable. But so are the Lions. And like, yeah. I don't know. I see I see a team like the Falcons and I see like that team's going to score a lot of points against us. Julio's probably going to be back by the time we face them. They're, they're a high flying offense. They like to throw the ball a ton. And and mm-hmm. maybe maybe a high flying team is actually what this team needs. Maybe they just need a team that won't run it down their throats and they they want to throw it a ton. But I, I mean, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see until we see one of those teams. Right. Maybe Desmond Trufant is the elixir for Julio Jones because he's a former teammate. Or maybe. maybe or just maybe he might get absolutely obliterated by. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. So I maybe not totally bought in, but I was like, I'd never even thought about this. I'm like, Desmond Trufant's played against the Saints a lot. He's, you know, he might be an extra little weapon this week. <laughs> Narrator voice. He wasn't. <laughs> he wasn't. <laughs> All right. I think that's going to do it for our first bite. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back on Sunday. Sundays at 7 p.m. here on our Twitch channel. We'll have our full POD cast as it normally runs, even though there won't be a post game to talk about. Um, We're also having a special event on Saturday on our Twitch page only. We're going to do some karaoke again just for fun. So if you need some fun in your life, come to our Twitch page Saturday night. I'm not sure on the time yet, but make sure you go over there. But until then, it's chaos. Be kind. See you Sunday. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. Support for this show comes from Vanta. Dealing with loads of spreadsheets, juggling different tools, and having to do manual security checks, it can be a headache to keep up with today's compliance and security programs. Vanta is the trust management platform that wants to simplify things and bring all your trust-building efforts under one roof, making growth smoother for your whole organization. Vanta lets you automate up to 90% of compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, and more. Strengthen security posture and reduce third-party risk. Get $1,000 off Vanta when you go to vanta.com slash vox. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash vox for $1,000 off Vanta.